that love is a muscle, all right? It's not something that just happens. Uh, when it's magical, it's because we've been exercising that muscle. And when I'm giving her my full attention, that is when I can, in my own limited caveman-like way, read where she is emotionally. And that's super important. Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today we're talking about cultivating connection, which is more than just magic. Why is it more than just magic? You know, we all think that falling in love is magic. It's special. It's amazing. And we get married and we have kids and the falling in love part kind of slips to the sideline. And we're like, where's the magic? Why aren't I experiencing the magic anymore? Well, the fact is that cultivating a working relationship, a nurturing relationship is more than just magic. It takes conscious effort. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Last episode, we talked about exploring love's deeper dimension. We talked about how we want to build that soulmate level love. And today we're going to talk about the tools, the concepts and the tools that get you there. That's really what this episode is about. It's the last episode was the what, this is the how. We're talking about the how today. All right. So why does love require proactive maintenance and care? Why can't it just be magical and special all the time? That is a great question. And sometimes it is magical and special, but the fact of the matter is that love is a muscle, all right? It's not something that just happens. Uh, when it's magical, it's because we've been exercising that muscle. Like those magical times are when uh, you come home and you've had a terrible day at work, and, you know, your partner's had a rough day too, but they can see that you really got kicked in the teeth and they're just there for you. They just open their heart. They connect with you, right? And they do that naturally and normally because they've been working at it. There are all those times when things weren't great, but they exercise that love muscle so that it could be magical in that moment, right? It's kind of like, um, I've been practicing martial arts my whole life and I hit this point where... I wasn't getting enough exercise out of it anymore. I couldn't put in the time that I did when I was a kid. When I was a kid. I was in there four or five days a week. So I needed to do something so that when I practiced martial arts, I was fit. So I started including gym time in my life. Now, I'm not a big fan of gym time, but I like feeling fit, right? So now when I go practice martial arts, it's magical. It's magical because I feel good already. I'm fit. I'm in shape. You know, when they have me do sit-ups, I'm strong. When they have me do push-ups, I'm strong. When we do forms, I'm focused and I'm energized. But without exercising my body on the outside, when I'm there in those moments where it's important, it wouldn't be magical anymore. And that's what this episode is about. We're going to talk about how to be proactive in the maintenance and care of your relationship, how to exercise that love muscle. And we're going to talk from a couple of author's point of view we're gonna there's the cardozas have written a book called the bulletproof marriage which has some great recommendations we're gonna pull from les and leslie parrott depending on who you're talking to and of course there's good old Brene brown who uh, is all about intimacy and vulnerability we're gonna lean into these concepts from these known and brilliant authors as we move along all right so let's start with communication right? The magic doesn't happen without communication. And communication is a lot more than how is your day, dear? Oh, fine. Here, let's bring you up with me. Cool. 
All right. Communication is, particularly if you're a man, communication requires your full attention. And let me explain what that means. I'm in the middle of doing a uh, five-day boot camp for men who want to fix their marriages, men who are in marital trouble. And the what, something we emphasized yesterday in the boot camp was that the mistake most men make is they attempt to multitask when they communicate, or they assume that they know where their wife is coming from already. These are two huge mistakes. Now, women can make this mistake too, but the truth is that women multitask better than men. So that's why I'm speaking particularly to men. When we are in communication with our partner, we want to make sure that we're creating opportunities to give our full attention. So something that I no longer do, for example, is sit there reading something. My wife walks up to me and talks to me about something and asks me to do something. I no longer keep reading. I either say, let me finish this and I'll get back to you. Or more often than not, exercising my love muscle, I stop whatever it is I'm doing, recognizing that she has some urgency and give her my full attention. And when I'm giving her my full attention, that is when I can, in my own limited, og, caveman-like way, read where she is emotionally. And that's super important because women are always plugged into the emotional backdrop. Men are all about how do I get to C, right now I'm at A, and emotions are less important to them. If I want to have effective communication with my wife, I need to be in there caring and as empathetic as I can be. And let me tell you, me at my highest empathy level is maybe, if I'm lucky, equal to her at her lowest empathy level. Like uh, My brain just isn't wired like hers. So the first piece is to be in there giving full attention and exercising my commitment, right? Right, Because nine times out of 10, when those moments happen, I've got my own agenda. I've got my own thing I'm doing, but I need to be willing to put it down. I and mean, part of this, we'll get to dig into this a little more, is about what is my definition of winning? Is it I'm winning or is it we are winning? right? If it's just me winning, the relationship is in trouble, especially when you're a dude, because we tend to be very narrow in our definition of winning. Um, I think my gut is that women, unless they really feel like the relationship is broken, uh, are going to always think about winning in terms of the ecology of the family. And men, unless they're very conscious and conscientious about that, are less likely to go that route. And that has to do with brain science, right? I'm going to spare you the brain science today. I think I did that in another episode. Go back, troll back through earlier episodes. So let's keep moving forward. It's open communication. It's caring communication. And in that context, when we are exercising our love muscle, being caring in our communication, giving one another our full attention and really listening for what the other person is saying, keeping in mind that men communicate their needs differently than women. When we're really listening for what the other person is saying, there is an opening there to resolve difference. I'm going to say that again because I don't know if you really got that. All right? The most creative thing that anyone can do is not only resolve difference, but create something new out of difference, something special out of difference. That is the purpose of partnership. We come into partnership with different strengths and different innate abilities and maybe even a slightly different view on how to achieve a shared goal. And it is in the meeting of those differences and the 
synergy that can come out of a caring exploration of those differences. That something new, special, and vibrant is created, right? And if you're not experiencing new, special, and vibrant in your partnership, then there's something missing in your communication. You're either afraid of confronting differences, not confronting each other, but confronting differences, or you've been confronting differences in a way that feels personal and is actually a high conflict and destructive. And so the trick is to get to this place where you can have differences of opinion and bring something new and special out of it. How do we do that? We seek solutions rather than victories. All right, the Perros in their book, The Good Fight, talk about when individuals are looking for individual victories rather than solutions to what appear to be differences that are almost impossible to work through. When we go to the place of of victory instead of solutions, there's no way through. When we go to solutions, we can find commonality in the differences, we can blend the differences, and we can move into a new and more powerful space. We need to cultivate curiosity about where our partner is coming from. And what I mean by that is very often one partner will present an idea. Oh, I want to go to Disneyland with our child. I want it to be super special. We should do X, Y, and Z. And the other partner might be, babe, we don't have the money for X, Y, and Z. And a mistake would be to not explore the difference between those two points of view. What is the point of view of, babe, we don't have the money for X, Y, and Z. What's under that? What are the concerns? Is there a way to meet those concerns? And for the partner who wants to go to Disneyland, what is the experience they really want to create through X, Y, and Z? And is there a way to create it with just X or Y? Or maybe it's with A, B, and C instead of X, Y, and Z. Maybe there's a the experience can be had in another way so that both concerns are met, right? That's the basis of understanding one another's viewpoint. You know, I'm a trained mediator and I work with couples all the time, helping them to get under their positions. They've got, those people have a position. We want, when we get under the position to the concerns and they start to see each other's concerns and have an empathetic connection to one another, that is when the magic starts to happen. And it happens every time. Also, inevitably, when we're trying to get under positions to concerns, there are oopsies, right? An oopsie is like uh, somebody gets triggered and they say something they regret. And it is vital to be willing, always be willing to apologize quickly, right? Keep your eyes on the prize. If you have your eyes on solution rather than victory, and you know that you stepped on somebody's toes or you feel that you're, you slipped into an emotional place that where no solution can be created, you just stop and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I'll tell you a story. Um, the other day, my wife and I were getting gas at a gas station and a guy walked up to me and asked me for $10 to drive his car somewhere. Now, there was no car there. It was evident to me the guy was just hustling. And I said, no, I'm not giving out $10 today. And then he asked me again. I said, no, I'm really not giving out $10 today. And then he said something disparaging to me and I got triggered. And it goes back to my history. I'm going to spare you all that. And I put the hose back on the pump and I walked up to the guy and I got in his face and I said, listen, you came to me and asked me for money. I'm just getting gas. Don't be criticizing me or, or telling me how to live just because I don't want to give you money. That's just not right. And he said, okay, but don't get in my face. I said, all right. And as I was walking away, he said, and it's a good thing you didn't go any further than that because then I would have had to show you something. And I was like, yeah, 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 right? 
So I thought everything's good. I put gas in the car. Figured, yeah, I'm, I, I, I handle that, right? I got in the car. My wife was really upset with me. She was like, what happened? What did you do? And I relayed the story to her. And she said, are you crazy? He could have had a gun. He could have had a knife. And I started to slip into my whole story about why I did that and how I got triggered. And I realized that she really didn't need to hear that in that moment. What she needed to hear was, I'm sorry. I said, you know what, honey? You're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have put you in that position. You know, I realized that was scary for you. It was like an aha moment for me. It's like, it really, my story, that whole interaction, what my stuff was about it, that's for me to go work out, you know, with my buds. I went out to breakfast with my best friends the next day and I talked it through with them and I wrapped my head around it, you know, and sometime in the future when she and I are sitting together, if it comes up, I'll explain it to her. Hey, you know what? I had this experience when I was a kid. So guys would walk up to me. They'd ask me for money, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just kind of wired for this and I'm, I'm dismantling it. That won't happen again. I promise you, you know, that's what that's about. Right. But in the moment, in the moment, all that needed to happen was acknowledge that it was scary for her and that I wouldn't want her to have that experience. No matter how confident I was in that moment, no matter how sure I was of what I was doing, no matter how right or righteous I felt or not, you know, honestly, afterwards I felt like crap because I didn't handle it in a way that reflects my true concern for other human beings. I handled it with anger, which is not a place I want to come from in life unless it's appropriate for the situation and it was not appropriate for that situation. No matter what the circumstances, the point is she didn't need to go through that, right? Quick apology, always keep it in your hip pocket. And the apology is not whether you're right or wrong. The apology is, wow, I really didn't want you to have that experience. It's not about right or wrong. It's about their experience. Okay, really important. Let's keep moving. That is based on empathy, right? Like in that moment when I got in the car, I realized she was afraid and afraid for me. So there was like an empathetic connection there. And in that moment, when I apologized, I chose to be vulnerable. Like she could have really laid me out in that moment, right? But luckily she had grace and she accepted my apology and was good with it. And we moved on. And that empathy thing, you know, that's what Brene Brown is always saying. That's what we talked about in the last episode a lot is that uh, in order to have empathy, there needs to be vulnerability and being vulnerable is the only route for love really to blossom and grow, right? So if I had gotten all argumentative, I started out being a little argumentative with her, but if I'd stuck with it, it would have gotten worse between us. That poison that went on between me and that man would have now been part of my relationship with my partner, right? And who really wants that? No one. I don't want that. Quality time. In the bulletproof marriage, the Cardozas emphasize another married couple that wrote a great book. I highly recommend it. They emphasize the importance of dedicating exclusive moments of the relationship. We talk about that here on Rich Relationship all the time, right? If you can, you have spiritual practices together. I'm not talking about religion here. Maybe it's that you pray together. Maybe it's that you meditate together. Maybe it's just that you look in each other's eyes quietly for a period of time. Maybe it's that you're going for a walk in the woods together and watching the sunset. The connection in the relationship that's built through connection to something bigger than you, whether it be uh, nature, whether it be society, whether it be a God of your understanding, whatever it is, when you share in that experience of something bigger than you, the relationship itself is more solid because it's grounded in that greater whole. Really, really, really important. And having those shared experiences spiritually and in life are what build a bond and foster growth. Have some appreciation rituals. Now, this doesn't work for everybody. If you've ever hit the five love languages, 
great book, by the way. Uh, for some people, appreciation is not super high, but appreciation might be feeding the other person's love language. The five love languages, by the way, are touch, not necessarily physical intimacy, but just touch, appreciation, touch, words of affirmation, you know, speaking faith and confidence into someone, letting them know how, how much you appreciate them. That's a direct form of appreciation. Act of service might be a way of showing appreciation. I really appreciate what you said the other day, and here's what I'm doing for you. Gifts, straight up. Thank you so much for what you did. Here's some flowers, chocolate. Here's uh, something riding related because you know you love to ride, whatever it is. Quality time. Hey, I so appreciated what you did the other day. I'd like to take you to dinner and spend some time with you. These are all ways that you can show appreciation and you want them built into your relationship. Uh, date night is a great way to uh, have regular appreciation. And what keeps it from being stale is that you use it as an appreciation ritual. You know, you go to dinner and give that quality time. You go to dinner and give those words of affirmation. You go to dinner and give that gift. You go to dinner and uh, and touch. Uh, you go to dinner and, you know, whatever. But that's a way. Make sure that you build in ritual, tradition, habits. These are all ways to reinforce values in our relationship and in our family. Sounds rough, but it's super, super helpful. When we talked a little bit about conflict resolution, you know, uh, but let's be clearer. In those moments where you just can't, let's say I got back in the car and she said what she said to me and I said to her, you don't understand the neighborhood I grew up in, the people I'm around. Babe, I got to stand for myself. You can't let people talk to you that way. Yada, yada. My whole, I have a whole story about this, by the way, in case you didn't know. I didn't even have to make that up. That was right in there. Um, and she would have said, yeah, well, your dad going to get you killed. And what's our kids going to do? And you don't even have enough insurance. And I go, what are you talking about getting killed? No one can pull one over me. Yeah, well, what are you know, it would have turned into a whole thing, a whole conflict, right? If you're in that kind of situation where the energy is just getting louder and louder, that's super negative. That's like what you're going to be doing when you do that is literally pulling emotional value out of your relationship bank when you do that. It's like when we have the five love languages, we're putting money in the bank, putting love in the bank. When we're fighting, we're taking love out of the bank. And eventually that relationship's going to go into bankruptcy. So you don't want to be in that space. So just have a ritual for stopping that stuff because it doesn't work. When one or both of you are in the space of, I'm going to win, I'm right, you're wrong. There is no winning, right? When I'm right and she's wrong, if I'm making her wrong, which if you're a husband, you know, is impossible. <laughs> My wife is never wrong. But if I really believe she's wrong, we could talk about that in another episode. If you really believe she's wrong, there's actually a great comedy skit on it. I want to share with you sometime, but not now. If you really believe she's wrong, then you're invalidating the relationship in, in essence, right? You got to get that in a partnership, the other person is almost never completely wrong. Almost never. Think about that. That right. That's going to rub some of you the wrong way. I want you to just absorb that. All right. Um, so let's bring it home. You want to make sure that in those moments where it's negative and where you truly believe other person's wrong and you're, here's the thing. It's not that they're wrong. It's that you're vindictive and angry about their being wrong. That is a no win because you're attacking them. You're attacking who? The person that you love. You're attacking who? Your life partner. You're attacking who? Your family co-leader. 
And when you do that, not only are you tearing them down, you're tearing yourself down and you're tearing your kids down. That is a terrible space to come from. You reserve that for real warfare, not make-believe warfare, which is in your family. Real warfare is when the guy at the gas station comes up to you and says, yo, I'm taking your car and your wife. That is when you go to real warfare, right? That is the moment. No, you are not. I will die before you take my wife. You can have the car. Let's get her out. How's that? All right, I'll do that, right? That's That would be a compromise of warfare. Or, unstable as I am, maybe you're not even going to give up the car. We can talk about that another day also. All right. <laughs> I have shared more of myself in this episode than I think any episode yet. This really lives for me. So let's bring it home, my friends. I'm going to share a quick story with you. I had a premarital couple uh, that had, there was some infidelity in their relationship and they really loved each other. And they got this so fast. The thing about negativity, they completely understood, like they, they had personal experience with it, destroying their relationship. They weren't even married yet, right? And they, they got this thing about partnerships and supporting each other so fast. And they had the most beautiful wedding and they've had the most amazing marriage afterwards. And they've had conflicts, not bang, bang, shoot them up conflicts, right? Because they learned, they went through my, my pre-metal program and they learned early how to communicate like the good fight. They learned how to communicate so that they could resolve conflict. They learned how to pull away when the emotion was had turned to, I'm going to win, you're going to lose. They learned to not do that. They had like a safe word and they still have a happy marriage today. Like it just kind of warms my heart. They did a, a video testimonial for me. And every time I see it, I just sort of go, a quick story, right? So you may have gone into your marriage not as prepared as them, but you, there's still time for you to get this stuff. So if if this is resonating with you and you want to know more, reach out, you know, DM me. And if you're doing this stuff or if you've read these books, back me up. Comment, comment. I'll let people know the good news. And as you're practicing, learning, going deeper, remember that your motivation is to realize that no relationship is successful unless both people are engaged in it. And at the same time, it only takes one person to tank a relationship. So you want to be the one to lead in saving the relationship, not tanking it. So next episode, next episode, we're going to talk about the future phases of relationship, the phases of relationship. So we've talked a lot about in love. We've talked about what happens after that first year? And we've talked about tools. Now we're going to talk about some some of the other phases, right? I don't think people talk about phases a lot. And I've been through a couple. You know, my wife and I, our kids are grown-ass men and women, as they like to tell us. And so we're moving into a new phase. And so this is something that's really on uh, top of mind for us. And um, maybe I can even get her to come on and talk about it. That'd be really interesting. But, you know, regardless, that's going to be the next episode. How do you look forward in your marriage and prepare for the phases that are coming, you know, once you have these rock solid practices in your life. Thank you again. It's been a long one. We appreciate you and have a blessed day.